how is your life better because of Jesus? And you might like to compare what your life is like now to a time before you knew Jesus. Um, And some of us have those life stories where we can really clearly contrast, before I knew Jesus, it was like this. Now that I'm growing in Jesus, it's like that. Uh, For some of us, we might look around and see what happens in the world in places where Jesus is not known and not followed and go, oh man, doesn't that make a massive difference? And you look at uh, societies that have been based on God's ways and God's values and and where leaders have had relationship with Jesus that has caused them to shape society in certain ways and you see the blessing that is and you go, man, Jesus has made a big difference in the world. It's so much better where he is a part of people's lives and part of people's thinking and their morals and so on. Or you might just look at your own life, even in the last week, and like Wayne was talking about, you know, we all mess up every day, and you, you recognise those moments when you are feeling close to Jesus, when he is in your thoughts, and he is in your heart and your mind, and you're following him, and you have those moments where you feel far away from Jesus. Let me just ask you simply, which is better? And sometimes we give in to temptations, we think, oh, this is going to be good, even though we know it doesn't fit with Jesus. But as you step back and as you evaluate the fruit of that, Is it better when you are close to Jesus or when you are further away from him? Last night we remembered a line from the Christmas song, O Holy Night, that says, A weary world rejoices. And we thought about how much better our lives are when we learn to cast all our cares onto Jesus the way he invites us to to do. And uh, as we reflected on last week, as we go through life, there's all kinds of cares that we carry. And the Bible invites us, Jesus invites us, to cast all our cares onto him. Not as an act of delegation, uh, where we're basically saying, look, I've got this stuff under control, Jesus, but if you could look after those things, uh, that would be great. It's not delegating certain things to Jesus. And it's not an act of direction where we're saying to Jesus, okay, this is what I want my life to be like, and this is what I expect you to deliver for me. Um, It's not telling him what to do. It's an act of dependence, It's where we say, Jesus, thank you for carrying what I cannot and leading where I know not. I trust you and I'll follow you. We reflected last week on how casting all our cares on God is how we humble ourselves under his mighty hand. And there's a promise that comes with that from 1 Peter 5. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time. Casting all your cares on him. Why? Because you know this. This is what the Christmas story is all about. Because he cares for you. He loves you. And again, as Wayne shared during communion, it's not because you've earned that. It's, because you, you, it's not because you never mess up and hurt him. No, it's just because that's who he is. He loves you. And coming to Jesus' independence is not an admission of failure. It's an assurance of victory. Our weary souls can stop trying to make life work on their own. We can rejoice that the giver and sustainer of life has come. And so that's what we reflected on last week as we uh, tuned into one of the Christmas songs that speak about how our weary souls can rejoice. Today we're going to hear from another song. And I wonder if you recognise this verse. Now I said at the very beginning we're going to uh, tune into the carol that we sung, which was? Good, got the tune in your head? Do I do the world? This is a verse that we don't always sing. In fact, we didn't sing it this morning because like lots of songs, and especially Christmas songs, they often have quite a lot of verses, and so we don't always sing every verse of every song. So this is verse 3 of Joy to the World. This is what it says. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, 
far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as far, yeah, I won't do, won't do that to you. So that is a great scriptural principle that has been put into one of our Christmas songs. And I'd like to reflect on that a little bit about how Jesus makes our life better and we sing about it when we sing the songs of Christmas. This uh, verse actually points us back to the book of Genesis where the story is told of how the first humans, Adam and Eve, rejected God's rule and choose to go their own way and the result was sin and sorrow. A broken relationship with their creator and sustainer. A broken relationship with each other. And brokenness within themselves. And God even cursed the physical world to make it reflect the brokenness of the people he had entrusted that world to. So thorns now infest the ground. So this verse has some theological ideas that many of us are familiar with. And they help us to understand why life is the way that it is. But how often do we stop and apply these principles to life? How do we consciously invite the truths that are expressed in this verse to set us free and to, to recreate our experience of life? No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the cursed is found. So I want to unpack these ideas briefly for us today and allow them to have free reign in our lives to bring about a new and better experience of life. So I want to start with that bit that is repeated several times there. As far as the curse is found. Now let's think a little bit about what we're singing about when we're singing about what Jesus has come to save us from. Where is the curse found? Is anyone here a physical being who inhabits a physical world? And I'm very worried about quite a few of you who didn't put your hands up there. Okay, that's us, all right? That's all of us. We are all physical beings who inhabit a physical world. And the story of Genesis tells us that that's where the curse impacts. It describes the fact that the world we live in is broken. So think about uh, the beginning of the Genesis story and the world is created and it's created to be amazing and we still see its amazingness today. When my favourite time of the day, and I won't be real pious and say it happens every single day, but it's meant to. Um, I'm meant to take the dog out for a walk and I go into the pine plantation in some bush blocks near where I live. And it's my favourite time of day because you're just out there in nature and I love nature. The world is amazing. I, I got sent some photos uh, from the Seychelles recently of the beaches and the palm trees and the lagoons. I thought, oh, that place is beautiful. Uh, I'm sure you've got those spaces in the world that, that you think of and go, wow, the world is amazing. And it is because God made it and he's amazing. But it is also broken. And we think, we've already thought today about the existence of cancers that affect our bodies and harmful viruses and destructive weather events and corrosion. And we could go on and on and talk about the brokenness that affects our physical world. But here's something I know is true. We've all been impacted by it. We've all been hurt by it. Our world is broken. Not only is our world broken, but our relationships with people don't always go well. And again, relationships are amazing because people are amazing. I mean, I sometimes uh, think about the good stuff that God has put into people. And this is all people. It's not some people. Uh, I met one of the folks who was uh, at the uh, M45 in Kalgoorlie, which is their outreach to the people who are doing Life Tough at the moment. And as I got to know this person who'd been in and out of prison, he described all kinds of family breakdown. And, and, and some of his um, theories about life were really just quite bizarre, let me tell you. 
But at the same time, I saw a beautiful guy who loves to make people happy. And he described some of the ways that he's, he tries to do that for people in his life. And I go, you're a legend. Um, there is beauty inside every single human being. There's beauty inside you and there's beauty inside the people who you love and there's beauty inside the people you can't stand. People are amazing and relationships are wonderful. But yet people are broken and relationships suffer. That is the reality of our life. And we've all experienced what it's like to want to belong somewhere to, but to feel excluded. We know what it's like to be the target of mean-spirited words. We know what it's like to be unsure about what people think of you and what they might be saying about you. You know what it's like to be let down by others. And again, we could go on and on and on and on and we could just feel worse and worse and worse because our relationships with people are broken. And it's not just our relationships with people, it's our own inner life that the curse extends to. Again, what goes on inside us can be amazing. Uh, I've, I've seen a lot of love and patience and faithfulness, a lot of great stuff in people that bubbles out in all kinds of different ways. And I know for myself, sometimes I'm going real great in my mind and I'm thinking about people and I'm thinking about how I can care for people and, and all that kind of good stuff is there. But I also know that at times I'm feeling really depressed, self-loathing even, anxious, frustrated, angry. There's all kinds of inner dysfunction that goes on in me too. And I suspect you're the same. And I suspect you could make a list of some of the stuff that goes on inside you where you go, that doesn't feel good. I'm pretty sure I'm not meant to be feeling that and thinking that. We're broken inside. And finally, as far as the curse extends, it even extends to our relationship with God. And we see that in the story where the relationship Adam and Eve had with God was broken. And people still connect with God in all kinds of different ways. Um, and every culture right around the world has a way of connecting with the divine, of recognising spiritual dimensions and seeing some really good things in, in their relationship with God, even if they don't know really who God is. And that's the problem. None of us on our own can figure out who God is and what God is like. Uh, we are cut off and separated from any chance of knowing God. Our brokenness prevents that. Except for Jesus, who makes his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. To everyone, everywhere. To people who are feeling the weight of a broken world. To people who are burdened by difficult relationships. So those who are struggling with an unruly inner life or are feeling disconnected from God, Jesus brings the blessings that we need. So what does that mean for us practically to recognise the truth of that song that we sing at Christmas time? What does it mean that Jesus makes his blessings flow as far as the curse is found? And what kind of blessings are they? Last week we talked about the blessing of being able to cast our cares onto God. We know that's one of them, but it's not the whole picture. He fixes everything that is broken, not just the things that might be weighing on us in the moment. So there's another phrase in that verse that I think is worth tuning into. And it's the very first one. No more let sins and sorrows grow. How did the coming of Jesus do something to stop the growth of sin and sorrow in your life and in mine. I want to look at just one of the passages of Scripture that talk about this. And, and uh, during the week I, I read through a whole bunch and I, I kind of catalogued some in my mind because this is really a huge theme of Scripture. And for a while I even toyed with the idea of, 
Oh, I wonder if we can handle reading from Romans chapter 1 through to the end of Romans chapter 8 this morning. Um, and I, I decided, no, that's probably too much, but go do it in your own time because you'll love it. It tells this story beautifully. But we're going to read a shorter telling of that story, and it's found in the book of Galatians in chapter 5. And I'm going to put those passages on the screen for you. Uh, but as I always say, it's always great to look at it in your own device or in your own physical Bible so that you are familiar with it. This is what Galatians 5 from verse 19 says. Tune in to the sins and sorrows that are listed here. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now this is actually a pretty short list. This is not every sin and sorrow that exists. And as you read back in the letter to the Galatians, Paul particularly emphasises some things that he knows are going on there. Um, and he's putting his fingers on some of these behaviours. And notice how verse 19 begins. The works of the flesh... It simply means that these are the things that we all do. As long as you are a physical person living in a physical world, you'll do stuff like this. And you can try cover it up as much as you like and you can try make lots of rules to force yourself to not do them. But if you are a physical person in a physical world, that curse that was spoken about in the verse that Genesis 3 describes and all the Bible illustrates in many, many different ways, you'll do this kind of stuff. That's what our flesh, our bodies do. Stuff like sexual immorality and dissensions and factions and strifes and outbursts of anger, all of those things that mess up relationships with people, we'll do some of those. And some will do some things more than others, but we'll all do that kind of stuff. Even things that uh, might seem good or attractive at the time, like uh, getting drunk or carousing and promiscuity, they end up causing a world of hurt. But then there's the inner stuff like envy and hatred and selfish ambitions. They mess up our own internal well-being and they drive so much destructive behaviour. There's things like idolatry, which is worshipping and serving anything other than God, or sorcery even, trying to control things in the spiritual world for your own purposes. And that those things show that our relationship with God is damaged beyond our repair. We can't be part of his kingdom. And all of this... Sounds, reads really negatively, doesn't it? And how often do we beat ourselves up and kind of say to ourselves, stop it, stop doing this kind of stuff. And how much do we point the finger at others and say, you guys shouldn't be doing that. This stuff is garbage, it's rubbish and it hurts people. Everyone suffers. This is the stuff of sin and sorrows that the song is talking about, Joy to the World. But I want you to notice that this is not actually how the passage in Galatians 5 begins. This stanza actually began three verses earlier, in verse 16, where Paul says this, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. They are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. 
So our flesh, our physical nature, uh, us by ourselves without God's help, is caught up in sin and sorrows. We can't help it. We do that kind of stuff. Our inner life, our relationship with others, our relationship with the world, everything is messed up. All of it is related to our relationship with God, which is broken by sin. We are simply too broken to do anything about it. And even if we study God's good laws that differentiate between right and wrong, good and evil, and we do our very best to avoid what is evil and do what is good, we're just too broken to carry it off. But what we're promised in Galatians 5 is that if we walk by the Spirit, not only can we live up to God's goodness, but what does it say there? We certainly won't do the things that we would have without God's help. If we're being controlled by the Spirit, we certainly won't continue down that path. We will live a different kind of life. As uh, Paul writes elsewhere, we're new people, new cre creations. We'll do stuff differently. What does that mean? Well, this is what Jesus did in order to make his blessings flow into our lives. He came into the world. He took on a fleshly body just like ours. But he did in that body what none of us could do. He lived by God's perfect laws. He showed us what a good life is really like. And not only that, he died in our place. He took on himself the just punishment for every evil attitude and action of the entire human family. And he condemned sin and death in the process. And he rose from the grave to show that we have new bodies awaiting us that are unaffected by sin and death unaffected by the curse of sin and sorrow. And he sent his Holy Spirit to live in everyone who believes in him, to help us to live out of the goodness of God and not be controlled by the brokenness of our own flesh. And these are truths that we remember every time we come to communion. We remember what Jesus has done to enable us to be in God's family and to live differently because now we have the Spirit of God inside us to help us to be different so that we can do different. You know, it would be insulting to God to think that we could ever live up to his standards of goodness on our own. Isn't it? Have you ever thought about that? If I thought that I could ever be good enough to belong in God's family and not mess it up, that's kind of pretty arrogant, isn't it, to think I could be as good as God himself is. But by the grace of God, he takes me and says, right, I'm going to put my spirit in you to help you live in a way that you could never live on your own. To help you be someone new, be somebody different. Keep in step with what the spirit is doing and you'll be a whole different kind of person. And you'll do different kinds of things. And you'll think and feel different kinds of thoughts and feelings. Everything about your experience of life will be better because of Jesus. And for a very graphic description of that, we shoot to the end of this little stanza where Paul says, hey, guys, you have been given the Spirit of God, so live in step with the Spirit. You're not going to do that kind of stuff that we looked, about, looked at earlier, that sin and sorrow stuff. This is what you're going to do instead. From verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness faithfulness and gentleness and self-control you know often I, I recite that list how many of them are there nine right yep so many of you know that and so you might get into so through this through this love joy gender blah, 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 and you rattle them off as quick as you can to try to get through the night but take your time have a look at that list 
How good are those things? How good is life when those things, not as separate things, they're all one fruit of the Spirit. This is what life is like when the Holy Spirit is producing his goodness in you. These are some words that describe it. Are these the only words that describe it? No, but it's a fairly good sampling, isn't it, of the kind of life we live when we keep in step with the Spirit. Keeping in step with the Spirit, as you'll look at that list, obviously changes our inner life, what's going on inside us. As you look at that list, you can see that it changes the way that we relate to others and the way that we relate to God, and all of it is good. This week I read the testimony of a guy who um, hated going to church. Uh, let's be honest, who's ever hated going to church? Uh, we've all been there. Hopefully that wasn't this morning, but for some of you it might have been. Uh, we, we're not always drawn to do that kind of thing. And, and for this young guy, he'd um, come from a situation of a bit of a chaotic family life, uh, marked by relationship breakdown and, and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and in the midst of that, his sister starts going to a youth group. And from there, they reach out and connect with his mum um, and stepdad, and, and they start going to church. And he's like, oh, great. Because what he wanted to do on Sunday mornings was play basketball. His hero was Michael Jordan. He sounds just like me at the moment. Uh, well, apart from some of the family stuff. But, um, and so he wanted to use the time practicing basketball. And now he's being dragged along to something. They sing stupid songs and they have to sit and listen to some guy waffle on for ages. It's just, it's just not fun. It's not cool. But he describes how you know, week after week coming along, he started to notice something different. And it wasn't what the guy on stage was saying or what the lady on stage was saying or what the, the group was singing. What he started to notice was the people that they were doing it with and their faithfulness in just being there and being involved in each other's lives. Um, he'd gotten used to a lot of chaos in relationships where when, when things get hard, people leave. Um, but these people stuck it out. They stayed involved with each other. And when his sister went through a, a, an accident, there were people who gathered around their family and supported them. It was the everyday life of people who were doing good and kind and faithful things, it kind of worked on his heart until he came to the point of giving his life to Jesus and becoming a lifelong follower of Jesus himself. And isn't that so much like your experience and mine? I remember growing up, I was blessed to have people in the local church family who opened their home on a Wednesday night. I wonder what that conversation was like for this guy who was a school teacher to say to his wife, they both worked, they had four kids, I think, at that stage, um, and busy lives. Hey, would it be all right if we let a bunch of teenagers come and hang out at our place every Wednesday night? There was a cost to that. But it was an expression of a desire to be good and to be kind and to give teenagers a space to hang out. So they did it. Made a difference in my life. I think I've told you before, when I moved into a new area and the first week we were there, another family who was a part of the church that we'd gone to that previous Sunday uh, rocked around, brought a meal, brought a son my age with a footy. Um, what, why did they do that? Because this is the kind of people that keep in step with the Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit prompts us to do. And they didn't need a rule. They didn't have a church policy that said, hey, if you're the person who lives closest to somebody who came into town, you'll get an email and you need to visit them that week. And if you don't, you know, the pastor's going to get onto you. There was no rules about that stuff. That stuff bubbled out simply because they're keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. Good things happen when we keep in step with the Spirit. Faithfulness and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. What difference would more of that make in my life and in yours? What would it be like if there was more love, 
more joy and more peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control, would your life feel better or worse? Would the impact you're making on the people in your life, workplace, school, street, wherever, would it be better or worse? Please don't go try harder to do this stuff. Because according to the Bible, we can't do it on our own. The works of the flesh are obvious, it says, and they're not this. But what it invites us to do is to keep in step with the Spirit. But why is that? <laughs> do any of you kind of go, well, but how do I do that? Well, that's actually a really long conversation because it looks a little different to all of us, but there are some things that we have in common. And there are lots of things that are a part of discipleship, learning to follow Jesus that we can talk about that will help you do that. So my first encouragement would be be talking about that with other people, figuring that out, learning from those who have been following Jesus for a while because there's so much to it. There is so much to keeping in step with the Spirit. But here's just a couple of things that I would encourage you to work on this week. I'd, I'd invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to help you discover more of the goodness of God in Christ. And read the Bible. And don't just read it as a list of to-dos, the things that you're supposed to do or not. Don't read it as a history book. Oh, so that's when that happened. Read it as an invitation to get to know God, to find out what God is like. Ask for the Holy Spirit's help to help you know more of how good God is, what he's done for you, what he cares about. And the more you know what God is like and the more you know what he cares about and what he's doing in the world, the more you find yourself wanting to be a part of that and wanting to express that yourself. And that's the second part of the prayer. Ask for his help to become more like him. Notice when you're living by your flesh, notice what it feels like and what it does. Say, Holy Spirit, I need your help right now. I need to stop being so angry in this moment. I need to see what you're like and what you really care about. Will you help me with that? It's that humbly coming to God and asking for his help. I look at um, Galatians 5 where it talks about some of those things that are the fruit of the flesh and I see all of them in my life. Some of them I look back a long way for and that's great. Some of them are yesterday. Uh, and I recognise, oh, I need some help with this. And that is the journey of following Jesus. Uh, I was thinking about my experience as a basketball coach and I've spoken to you about my uh, rather non-illustrious sporting career at other times. But you know how I've struggled with anger there? And you know, outbursts of anger, they're not a fruit of the spirit, they're, they're, they're our flesh. And I've struggled with that at times, both coaching and playing. But I've also known what it's like to experience in that moment the help of the Holy Spirit say, that umpiring oh, or that player is not doing what they're told, but say, so how can I help? How can I love them? How can I be faithful? How can I be kind? How can I be good in this situation? And amazingly, God, God enables that to happen. And when it does, it achieves so much good stuff that I look at me getting angry and trying to get my own way and make the umpires do better or whatever, and I go, man, why do I choose that path all the time? Not all the time. Keep in step with the Spirit. The results will be great in your life. So what could that look like for you? I want to close with a, a quote from J.I. Packer, who's um, uh, a theologian who's um, probably written a lot of books that have influenced your life without you even realising it. Uh, and this is uh, what he said uh, in a book that he wrote called Keep in Step with the Spirit, Finding Fullness in Our Walk with God. He said, all who are realistic about themselves are from time to time overwhelmed with a sense of inadequacy. Who's been there? Oh, we know what that's like, don't we? 
All Christians, time and again, are forced to cry, Lord, help me, strengthen me, enable me, give me power to speak and act in a way that pleases you. Make me equal to the demands and pressures which I face. We're called to fight evil in all its forms in and around us. And we need to learn that in this battle, the Spirit's power alone gives victory. While self-reliance leads only to the discovery of one's impotence and the experience of defeat. How does Jesus make life better for us? He's opened the way for us not to live in impotence and defeat anymore. Not to keep doing those works of the flesh. He's opened the way for us to live by the Spirit and experience all the goodness of God in our lives. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the beauty of Jesus, all that he is, all that he's done, all that he reveals to us. Thanks for the wonderful gift of your scriptures, which in so many different ways point us to Jesus. So thank you for this passage in Galatians 5, which reminds us not to try live for you on our own. Not to try um, satisfy a whole bunch of even great rules in our own strength. But help us to rely on you. Help us to live by your spirit. To simply say, help me, Lord Jesus. And to trust that you will do that. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see what that looks like this week. And for some of us, that might be just tuning into your words some more so that we can be armed in our minds with all of the wonderful expressions of who you are and to overflow in worship and gratitude to, to you in the way that we live our lives. Maybe it's spending some time in prayer and talking to you about the things that we face and talking to you about who you are and the things that you care about and asking for your help to be more like you. Maybe it's getting together with some people who are on the same journey so that we can talk about it and be accountable to each other and to, to encourage each other when we, we sometimes feel like giving up when we've messed up a few times. Lord, whatever that looks like for us, would you help us to take practical, concrete steps? But Lord, may we never, ever rely on our own strength to take them. May we be asking you for the help, trusting that the one who has promised that help will deliver. And we look forward to seeing the fruit of that in our lives. May our lives be better. May the lives of people around us be better. Because Jesus has come. He's reconciled us to you and he's sent his spirit to live inside us. Amen.